Hello, this is Bill Warner with another podcast on anything and everything related to political Islam. As always, political Islam is in the news, and I've selected some events that involve political Islam, and would like to talk to you about the doctrine that is the root cause of the behavior. Islam is not just a religion, but a complete way of life that includes all aspects of civilization. Because of mass Muslim immigration, the government is making cuts in funds provided for the welfare of Swedish citizens, with the new housing now going to Muslim immigrants while pensions and the support for elderly Swedes has been cut. It's clear that the money that before went to the welfare of students is being funneled to immigrants so they can support their families. The worst thing is that the immigrants are unemployed and happy to live on state welfare. Anti-Semitism, Jew hatred has also risen. In Malmore, Sweden, Jews are targeted regularly. They're harassed and assaulted on the streets. Sweden has witnessed a huge rise in the crime rate. Now, why is all this happening? Well, I'm not going to go into why the Swedes are such subjugated by Islam, but there's a word for their subjugation, which is that it's called the dhimmi, D-H-I-M-M-I. According to the Sharia, the proper relation between Muslims and Kafirs is that the Kafir is subjugated to the dhimmi. The Kafir is subjugated to the Muslim. This is expected. And the money that comes, which the Swedes see as generosity and kindness, instead is seen by Muslims as simply the jizya, the tax that they're due because they have subjugated the Kafir. This is also part of a concept called the Hijra. The Hijra is migration. We need to understand why we have a special word for it. Muhammad preached the religion of Islam for 13 years in Mecca and only converted about 150 people. He left Mecca and went to Medina where he became a politician and a jihadist. When he died 10 years later, every Arab in the Arabian Peninsula was now a Muslim. So it was immigration that brought success, but it was also immigration that brought jihad. So that's what we're seeing here in Sweden. The doctrine of Islam is being carried out for the Demi, the Kafir, the non-Muslim. When Daryl Brooks plowed into a Wisconsin Christmas parade, killing five and wounding dozens, he could be carrying out an act of vehicular jihad. That's what I said when I saw the video. It looks like vehicular jihad. Now, part of the reason I said this was it was a Christmas parade. We'll deal more with that, why it's important. Brooks was a member of the national supremacist sect of the Nation of Islam called the 5% Nation. The 5% Nation is a subset of the Nation of Islam. It's a black nationalist movement influenced by Islam. Members of the group call themselves Allah's 5%ers. The 5% Nation preaches black supremacy and teaches that black people are the original inhabitants of the planet Earth and that the white man is an evil devil. Darrell Brooks' social post, particularly one of his Twitter posts in October 2015, proved that he was a black supremacist and a supporter of Malcolm X, who was also a Muslim and a spokesman for the Nation of Islam. Now, let's deal with some terms here. The media called these victims in this Christmas parade innocent. But in dealing with Kafirs, no Kafir is innocent because, according to Islam, they have offended Allah and the messenger of Allah, Muhammad, by rejecting what is being taught. 
So they have created, if you will, the first offense. Now, the other reason when I saw this car mowing down people was it was because it was a Christmas parade. Islam loves to do jihad on special times, either special for them or special for the Kafir. And so since this was a Christmas parade, it just seemed obvious to me that this was probably a act of jihad. The other thing we want to deal with here is that this man was not a lone wolf. Lone wolf is a term that, Amer that Americans and other Kafirs have made up, but there are no lone wolves because all Muslims live under the edict that it's jihad is the best thing to do. So the fact that they act by themselves is nothing special because in Islam we find that Muhammad had people go out as individuals to commit acts of jihad. So therefore, these were not innocent people according to the Sharia, according to Islam. And, and Daryl Brooks was not acting as a lone wolf. In Britain, a taxicab pulled up at the front of the Liverpool Women's Hospital and exploded into flames. Moments later, the taxicab driver, David Perry, ran out of his car and explained that he had noticed his passenger, uh, who turned out to be an Iraqi immigrant named Sweelman, was wearing an explosive belt. So he locked the cab, whereupon Sweelman exploded his bomb. Sweelman converted to Christianity in the year 2017. Sweelman immediately became the poster board for the moral equivalence crowd, the people who insist that all religions are equally capable of inciting their adherents to commit acts of violence. There are numerous indications that Sweelman's conversion was not sincere. Above all, he was spotted at a mosque all day, every day, in the weeks leading up to his jihad. He also honored Ramadan as well. Now, he turns out there's a better chance of having your application for asylum accepted if you can argue that your conversion would put your life in danger back home because converting to Christianity makes you an apostate, which makes you eligible for death under the Sharia system. In Germany, migrants increase their chances of winning asylum in Germany if they're able to prove that they would face persecution if they went home to a Muslim country. And they can do this by showing proof that they're a Christian or converted to Christianity. It is possible, however, that Sweelman, who is now an apostate, that his conversion was sincere, that is, he truly became a Christian. But he may have then later decided to want to return to Islam. Now, how he has a problem because he is now an apostate. But you can turn to jihad to make up for the sin of apostasy because Islam teaches that on the Day of Judgment, every individual's good deeds and bad deeds will be placed on great scales. And if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, one goes to paradise. But if the bad deeds outweigh the good deeds, one goes to hell. Since Muhammad prescribed death for those who leave Islam, apostasy is a serious offense that can only be outweighed by an even greater good deed. The Islamic State issued a manual entitled Safety and Security Guidelines for the Lone Wolf Mujahideen, that is, jihadists. It told the jihadis in the West that they could pretend to be Christians. It is permissible for you to wear a necklace showing a Christian cross. And as you know, Christians, even atheists, Westerners, wear the Christian cross. So what have we got here? Well, first off, we can see that there's deception is here. Deception is a very important part of Islam. 
There's a well-known hadith in which Muhammad says, Who will kill Ashraf, who has offended Allah and his messenger? And how did he offend Allah and his messenger? He wrote a poem. One of the Muslims said, I will do so, Muhammad, if I can deceive him. Do I have your permission to deceive him? Uh, Muhammad said, yes, you can deceive him. So here we have the doctrine of Islam means that you can use deception to harm the kafir. You can use deception in jihad. This is all part of the doctrine. Now the other thing we see here, though, is that the churches appear to be completely ignorant about this whole process. That is, they are naive. This is very common for Christians to be naive. They figure that if they're nice to everybody, everybody will be nice to them. Well, that may work under Christian morals and ethics, but it does not work under Islam. Here we also see that being a lone wolf means that you can be a one-man jihad group. And so, this is very important to remember. This is, I think, one of the most poisonous things about Islam, is that a Christian or a church has to be suspicious of a Muslim who converts to Christianity. They have to look at them very carefully. And also it would help if they did not get involved in the whole process of asylum. Will they do this? I don't know. But this is what needs to be done, is to realize that there is a stain, if you will, that carries forward from the Muslim when they convert to Christianity. And it must take some detailed looking and thinking and observing before you decide that he's not just playing the church in order to get an easier asylum or an easier green card, as it were, an ability to migrate. An 80-year-old Egyptian reformist scholar was jailed for telling the truth that Islam was spread by conquest, an obvious truth. Mar, the scholar, was being Islamophobic in the view of those who judged his case. They found him to be in contempt of Islam, which is what the view of Islamic supremacists everywhere and what is meant by Islamophobia. In Toronto, the school board has defined Islamophobia to be fear, prejudice, hatred, or dislike directed towards Islam or Muslims, or towards Islamic politics or culture. Anti-Islam bigotry is included in the term Islamophobia, but this is a contradiction. No one is more bigotry, has more bigotry against Muslims than other Muslims. Anti-Muslim bigotry is included in the term Islamophobia. This is a contradiction. No one is more anti-Muslim than other Muslims. Muslim sects which are deemed to be apostate and do not subscribe to violent conquest are routinely persecuted. Twelve million Muslims have been slaughtered by mainstream Muslims since 1948 for not being Muslim enough. The treatment of Ma, the scholar, is an example of Muslims persecuting Muslims for not towing the mainstream line. Now, Islamophobia is a peculiar word. It's a made-up word by the Muslim Brotherhood in Britain some years ago. They use the term phobia because they want to smear you. But it is, Islamophobia is not being afraid of Islam. Islamophobia is, is designed to be a word which is a smear campaign. Now, you have to understand something about slander in Islam. Slander is, can be telling the truth, but it offends the Muslims that you tell it to. We need to understand something else here. Islam cannot be reformed. The Quran is complete, perfect, and universal. How can something that is perfect be improved? You take something out, 
or you add something to it. But you can't do that. This Quran is permanent in the form it is. At the same time, Muhammad is also, his life and history, the Sunnah, are also permanent. They can't be changed at all. So Islamic doctrine, which comes from Quran, Sirah, Hadith, the Sirah, the Biography, and the Hadith, the traditions, simply cannot be reformed. So we say this because in America, one of the favorite fantasies of some people is that, well, Islam has its problems, but all we need to do is to reform it. But you cannot reform Islam, so we're stuck with Islam as it is. In Egypt, Christian students are beaten by teachers and other fellow students because they're wearing crosses. Imagine what would happen if Jewish or Christian teachers beat up Muslim students for being Muslim. Of course, this won't happen and shouldn't. The Islamic supremacist mission is to Islamicize everywhere and proclaim only one dominant religion, Islam, while the others look blindfolded the other direction, in hopes that 1,400 years of consistent practice will just suddenly magically vanish. Appeasement causes Islamic supremacist abuse and discrimination everywhere to escalate. There's a verse in the Quran we need to understand to truly understand why these Christian students are being beaten. It comes from Quran, chapter 9, verse 29. Those Jews and Christians who do not believe in Allah in the last day, Islam, even though they have been given the scriptures and do not do not hold as unlawful that which Allah and his messenger have declared unlawful, that is the Sharia, and who do not follow the true path, fight against them until they pay tribute out of hand and are utterly humiliated. Utterly humiliated. Now this is interesting. This verse is so important because there's something in the Quran which is called abrogation. Anyone who picks up the Quran and tries to read it very quickly understands that it's quite contradictory. It says two different things. For instance, in this case, war, jihad is to go on as long as there's any Christian or Jews left who don't submit themselves to the Sharia. Now, submitting to the Sharia makes you a demi, D-H-I-M-M-I. Note that the demi can be humiliated. This is unusual because in the Quran, it says the slave should be well treated, but the Christians and Jews, the demis, can be humiliated. And that's what this whole process is going on here, is that the students in Egypt, the Christian students are being subjugated and humiliated. This is important to understand. Let me direct your attention again to the fact that this is the last verse that deals with jihad, and so therefore is the one that's is supreme over all the other verses which seem to promise peace. So this is dualism. Dualism is where you have contradictions, ideas, but both sides can be used as the truth. Something else is interesting to note in this verse, and that is Allah and Muhammad are equal in power. And they did not hold which is unlawful, which Allah and his messenger have declared unlawful. So this is a peculiar thing because you also, when you study the Quran, you see that Muhammad keeps growing in strength and becoming more and more equal to Allah. And in this case, they're both equivalent. The Canadian school system has canceled an event with Islamic State survivor Murad because of her account of torture and rape by fellow Muslims would be offensive to Muslims and foster Islamophobia. The truth would foster Islamophobia. That's an interesting concept. She was to sit down with the students from Toronto and discuss her book, The Last Girl, My Story of Captivity. 
Her expose details how she escaped Islamic State where she was ripped from her home and sold into sexual slavery when she was 14. She used the book to talk about how she was raped and tortured before finding her way to a refugee camp in northern Iraq and then to Germany where she now lives. It should be noted that this book won a Nobel Prize. Well, it may be a Nobel Prize winner, and it may be true, but Canada doesn't want to talk about it. Why? Because Muslims would be offended. And Muslims being offended is called Islamophobia. But wait a minute. Islamophobia is bad, and this book is true. So why is the truth bad? Why is the truth Islamophobic? Well, I think this is a very important question, because we get an insight into what Islamophobia is. Islamophobia is just simply saying something about Muslims that they don't like. In Sharia slander, it doesn't matter if it's true or not, it just matters if it offends the Muslim. So we see here that we have intellectual cowards in Toronto. But don't worry, Toronto, I'm not picking on you. These intellectual cowards are in the universities all throughout the United States and the school system as well. No debate is, allow no debate is allowed about Islam. Only Muslims are allowed to speak. If you're not a Muslim and you say something about Islam that people don't like, then you're a bigot, a racist, a hater, an Islamophobe. Here we see how the backbone of our intellectual system has collapsed. Our schools are populated by cowards because they're afraid of the truth. This is tragic. If you're interested in knowing more about the doctrine that causes all Islamic action and behavior, why don't you go to politicalislam.com to see my books and self-study courses. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more, please go to politicalislam.com or cspii.org.